Well, hey everyone, Vic here. Uh, thrilled to be speaking today. Uh, I know some of you are actually uh, enjoying this moment in person, uh, in a small gathering outdoor. We're trying that out, and so you guys are able to say hi to each other face-to-face, uh, -face, but you know the rest of you guys are so welcome uh, online here. Maybe drop a comment if you haven't yet. Um, we are in the middle of a series out of the uh, letter that uh, Peter, one of the apostles, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote to uh, a group of churches. Um, and uh, today we are in chapter 3, uh, verses 18 to 22. Uh, but just before we turn there, uh, I first of all just want to give you a quick update. Thank you so much uh, to the City Gates family, the City Gators that have been so kind to my family. Uh, as some of you know, uh, my daughter Amber had um, some back surgery done uh, in Ottawa uh, um, a while ago and just overwhelmed by the love and support that you as a church family uh, have shown us. Thank you for the generosity, the gifts, the notes, uh, the meals. Um, we are just so thankful and just an update that she is doing uh, really well, getting stronger every day and, and making progress. And so, yeah, we love you guys and we have felt your love for us. So thank you so much. Um, let, me, let me start off by maybe uh, telling two quick stories. I heard a friend of mine uh, talk about uh, complimenting uh, his daughter, you know, as all dads want to do, uh, just tell their little uh, girls just how wonderful they are and how wonderful they look uh, sometimes when they get ready for a special occasion. And he was saying, you know, he was complimenting her on her dress, how beautiful the dress was and how lovely her hair looked, you know, the way she put that together. And she, she had, uh, you know, decided to wear some jewelry, you know, and so he complimented her on, on maybe some earrings or maybe some bangles or a necklace around her. And he kind of went on and he eventually ended. Um, and she looked at him and said, well, what's wrong with my shoes? Uh, because he had forgotten to <laughs> compliment those uh, carefully selected items. Um, and, uh, you know, that's really what uh, today's title of this message is all about, uh, is actually majoring on the majors and not on the minors, you know. So in that case, the little girl f uh, forgot to pay attention to all the compliments that he gave uh, um, uh, in terms of what she looked like, and he, had, he omitted the shoes, and so she interpreted that, that as, an, as an insult, <laughs> mistakenly. Um, and, you know, I think if even myself, you know, my wife, she cooks amazing meals, and, and I, I, uh, I think, you know, most meals are amazing, but in particular the ones she cooks, and I often would compliment the meals as well, uh, you know, as I take a first bite of something. Um, and then, you know, as I usually do, I would reach for the salt and pepper and just season my food a little bit. And, and there are times when she gets a little upset with me. She's like, it doesn't need salt and pepper. Why are you doing that? And she takes that as an insult and forgetting the fact that I just complimented the meal uh, and also the fact that I believe the salt just enhances what is already there. And so, you know, it's perhaps even more of a compliment that I would do that. Um, but again, that's an example of majoring on a minor and not actually on the major. And uh, as you will see in the five verses that we are going to be reading together today, that out of the five verses, there is one obscure verse. There's one uh, a section there that doesn't make too much sense. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's humanity, the human nature. But for some reason, people do like to focus on the obscure at the expense of the clear. The things that we can really pull out of these passages sometimes are forgotten just because there's one or two obscure moments in there that we can admittedly say we don't quite know yet what's going on there. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But so, so that's the title today is Majors and Minors. And the encouragement is to 
major on the majors. And so let's read this together. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 18 to 22. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you know, crack them open. Otherwise, of course, you can follow along on the screen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is God's word. Lord, will you help us today to make sense of these verses and help us to see the majors uh, and to acknowledge the minors, but to leave them in their proper place. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, well, let's jump straight in. Uh, verse 18 that we read there uh, about Christ who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That is a key statement in uh, what the theolog theologians call the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. I'll get it right eventually. And, uh, and it starts off by saying, for Christ also suffered. Now you have to glance back at a few messages that we've preached about the, the call of Christians uh, to suffer and to say, you know, the reason uh, that we can embrace that is because we have a God who suffered too. And so that's, that's this also that's being mentioned here. We, we must embrace, in a sense, like these readers here to, uh, of the letter of Peter, uh, we must embrace undeserved suffering. Sometimes when we suffer for doing good, suffer for proclaiming the gospel, for living out our faith in Jesus, we have to embrace that. And we find in Christ's atonement, in other words, the death of Jesus on that cross, his suffering, uh, an incentive for ourselves to bear up under the oppressive persecution from others uh, towards us if we are believers, followers of Jesus. So yeah, we are called to suffer. And a wonderful thing is because Jesus suffered, he's able to sympathize with us because he suffered himself, as it's said over here. So it's the same in that sense, but it's also very different. So it says he also suffered. And so there is a major difference we have to also understand between the suffering of Jesus and perhaps the suffering that you and I go through. His suffering is unique because it says here he suffered for sins, for our sins. Um, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so there is a sense that Jesus is dying not as a sinner, but for the sins. He's bearing upon himself the sins of you and me. He's a substitute in that, in that sense. Um, it's not his sin, it is our sin upon him. And, and it's saying he's dying, he, he died once. So in other words, no additional sacrifices needed. And Peter here is drawing the parallel between the Old Testament sacrifices that needed to be repeated over and over again. Uh, and with Jesus' sacrifice, it brought an end to that. He was the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that would pay in full for the sins past, present and future of his people. And, uh, and Jesus is able to do that 
because the one who's dying is the one who's being sinned against. Uh, you know, I can't forgive uh, uh, the sins committed against someone else. Only that person who's being sinned against can fully forgive. I can't say, well, they forgive you. No, it's up to them. And there's a sense that when Jesus, the God of the universe, died in our place for the sins committed against him, that is why his death is sufficient, because it was against him. That's why Jesus could say, your sins are forgiven. And it caused a massive uproar in his day, because who but God can forgive, forgive sins is what the claim was. And Jesus being God, dying in our place for our sins, took care of that properly. Um, and, it's, and it says there, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so there again, there's that substitution that took place. And, you know, the Old Testament required for the sacrifices to be made of animals, those animals to be without spot, without without blemish. They, they needed to be a perfect sacrifice. That is a shadow that pointed to the ultimate perfect one, the righteous one dying for the unrighteous, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was a fulfillment of that. The animals obviously that wasn't sufficient. Their blood that was shed needed to be done over and over again every year. But the death of Jesus uh, was once a sufficient, a sufficient payment for the sins of the world. The righteous for the unrighteous. And I just want to stop there for a moment. And maybe you're listening and you're not a Christ follower. Uh, you're exploring Christianity. Uh, and maybe you think that you're okay, that you're on the way that you think you could get to God if you just clean up your life a little bit. You think that you are righteous in, in, a, in a, or close to it, certainly. And the claim of the gospel here is, is that we are all unrighteous. In fact, you know, uh, Peter here re references to the days of Noah. Uh, when statements about humanity and their wickedness was made, that, that, you know, that, that humanity is just broken and evil, and there was a reset required. You know, there's a sense that that, that that is the problem with you and I, that we are unrighteous. So maybe you think you're okay, and actually the gospel is saying, no, you're not. You need a savior. You need someone to pay for your sin. Or maybe you listen to them and you go, I totally agree. I am unrighteous. I feel unworthy. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. How could I ever get to a holy God? And the good news for you is that, yes, there was an atonement made for your sin. Jesus, the perfect one, the righteous one, died once for your sin, the, un the, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so maybe you're feeling righteous. And I want to say to you, it's telling you that you're unrighteous. You need a righteous one to die in your place. And maybe you are faced with your unrighteousness and how you're missing the mark. I want to say to you, the good news is that there is a righteous one who died in your place and, and, and not just paid for your sin, but also promises to wash you and keep you clean before a holy God and bring you to God, which is the, the next section. I love this, to, to bring us to God. Isn't that incredible? Uh, and to bring undeserving ones, unrighteous ones like you and me to a righteous God. Wow, that is good news. I mean, the best plots in the movies. I just watched one uh, with my son this week, you know, about a classic hero uh, story, you know, where, where he, he gives up his life uh, for the sake of others, you know. And, and what makes some of these movies even more moving is when the person who, who lays his life down for the benefit of others, if the others are not deserving of it, if they were people that were, were in many ways their enemies, the story is even greater and grander. And this is the cosmic great grand story of the gospel, that a holy perfect God would give his life for imperfect people like you and me, that he would give his life so that he could bring us Jesus gave his life so he could bring us to the Father, bring us to God. 
That is amazing. And, and it hints, obviously, to the total inability of you and I to ultimately get to God on our own, to, to find God alone, to, to get to him on our own merits, saying, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm better than the guy next to me or the girl uh, behind me. Uh, that's not a, a way to get to a holy God by comparing yourself to other people because you will be compared to him and his perfection, his holiness. And so this is good news that actually someone is able to bring us uh, when we ourselves cannot get to him on our own merit and on our own steam. We need to be brought. We need to be taken to him. We need to be led to him. It's an amazing story. I, I think that I think of kids, you know, sometimes when they get lost in a shopping mall or at a theme park uh, and, and uh, maybe you, you have gotten lost before, your kids have, you know, you just know how, how they, their cheeks are, are, are just wet from the tears, they've cried, the panic that have set in, they've tried everywhere, they've tried to retrace their steps, they just can't find mom and dad uh, and, uh, and then they find a leader, they find uh, someone in authority, uh, they, they, they find someone that, a manager that works, someone that is responsible uh, for the place. And they share their story and this person's like, stick with me. And you know, they, they pull all the strings, they make the calls, they put the word out. And the parents probably have started looking as well. And there's a sense that this person takes this child and they bring them. They need to be brought because the kid was lost on its own. You know, there's a sense of that, that we are these lost children and we need to be brought to God. Or, or maybe more a more corporate example is that of, of networking. You need this connection. You need, this, you need to get to this person who's able to open a door for you um, or, or who's able to, uh, you know, change the scenario. Uh, and, and you try to get a hold of them, but you just can't. You know, there's hurdles. There's other people in the way. It's, it seems impossible. And then you just meet somebody who's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know them well, they're, they're a personal friend of mine or a personal family friend, I'll, I'll introduce you. And it's so easy, just that relational connection, just through that, you get to the person that you needed to get to and, and was almost impossible to get to through other avenues. You know, there's a sense that this is what Jesus, for us, Jesus has done for us. Isn't that amazing? He, 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 he died for us, the, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring us to God. I think that's amazing. Um, and then we carry on reading here. Uh, you know, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What is, what is referring to uh, over there? Well, you know, he died in the flesh. We know God became flesh. Uh, the incarnation, Jesus Christ uh, is, is, is Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. And then he died on that cross and his resurrection was a powerful one. Uh, being made alive in the spirit, first of all, could refer to him being raised by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But also raised into a spiritual reality because, of course, he ascended into heaven with his physical body. So there's a sense that his resurrected body is a glorious one. He's, he's, he's taken from this earthly temporal realm into a realm that, uh, that is, that is um, heavenly and eternal characterized by the spirit god is spirit and so and so th this is what this resurrection is speaking of and this is the resurrection that you and i can look forward to being in christ ourselves we can look forward to this uh, this amazing resurrection one day um, where uh, uh, we would experience in a sense a similar glory to jesus and uh, you know we, before we move on I, I think this is just an amazing segment that we could um, stop for a moment and maybe take communion around. So maybe if you're meeting um, uh, in person right now, like maybe there is a bit of a watch party going on, um, uh, this could be a good moment to quickly pause and just to ponder on this verse 
uh, 18, um, that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. I know that even a part of our commission at the end of the service, Tom's going to do that. Uh, he would encourage us to do that throughout the week. So maybe that's a moment that you could do that now. Break bread together, thinking about this amazing truth. Uh, if you're not a Christian, this could be a moment where you could put your faith in Jesus. You know, as you break bread, what that means is that the elements, the bread and, and the, the juice, the wine, represents the broken body or the body given of, by Jesus and the blood that was shed. That, that, that death on the cross, that suffering once, that sacrifice by the righteous one for you and me, the unrighteous. When we eat that, we celebrate this truth saying we have been brought to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we, we, it's a meal that we celebrate. You could do that as an act of faith, becoming a Christian. And of course, as Christians, you could do that celebrating uh, what God has done for you. Maybe that'll happen right now. I'm not too sure. It certainly could happen in community groups as well. So whether you paused it or carried on, uh, um, I'm going to carry on anyway. Um, so we are now looking at verses 19 to 20. Uh, the first thing we looked at was a major, like this is a major issue, but now we're going to look at the minor thing, okay? Uh, uh, verse 19 to 20 uh, says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, hmm? because they formerly did not obey when God's pr uh, patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And then eventually goes into baptism. But, you know, People have asked this question, what does it mean, him uh, proclaiming uh, uh, to the spirits in prison? Who are they? Wh what is going on here? And, and this is a little bit of a, a, a speculative theology. There's a couple of views, you know, three major ones, and uh, I'll list all three of them. The third one being the one that it cannot be, but even the first and the second. So uh, are ones that we're like, well, you know, we're not quite sure. And we'll look at that uh, in a moment. So... Um, as I've mentioned, people for some reason love and are drawn to conspiracies and, and people really love to focus on some of the obscure things at the expense often of the clear things that we can clearly see in these verses. But I'll give them to you anyway, you know, A, B and C. So A uh, is perhaps the simplest explanation of this. And there's a sense that the, the pre-incarnate Jesus, because Jesus is eternal. When he came to earth, he came from heaven. There wasn't a sense that Jesus came to be 2,000 years ago. No, he came from heaven. The eternal son uh, left the eternal father and spirit, came uh, and, uh, and became flesh. But there's a sense that the pre-incarnate Jesus, before his incarnation, uh, through the Holy Spirit that was at work still, uh, gave uh, um, Noah... His message. So Noah was a preacher, a herald, and just a few chapters before, in one Peter, one Peter himself, uh, Peter himself says, in verse uh, eleven, chapter one, that the Spirit of Christ spoke through the Old Testament prophets, of which Noah was one. And so there's a sense that we could say, okay, the, the, um, this is what this could mean: that that Jesus was, you know, pre-incarnate, proclaiming uh, through Noah by the Holy Spirit uh, to the people of Noah's day. Before we move on to what it could mean also, the second, second interpretation, I, I, I want to just stop and look at uh, what this verse says about when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. You and I live in that, that era and maybe you're not a Christ follower and you're thinking it's okay. You know, I hear all this stuff about God, but I feel like I've got time. Uh, I want to say to you, today is the day of salvation. That's what everybody in Noah's day thought. Ah, we've got time. And actually they ran out. Judgment came upon them. And I don't want that to be the case for anybody. 
And so, you know, maybe uh, that is your outlook on life. Ah, maybe towards the last bit of my life. And I, I think this, this last year and a half, we have been faced with our mortality once again uh, in ways that we've not uh, looked at, uh, at before. You know, I think of my own life, you know, one of the major differences from going from my 30s to my 40s is that there is a sense that I'm feeling and I'm realizing, you know, all sorts of signs point to that, but I'm just, just, just realizing that there's possibly, quite possibly, less years ahead of me than behind me. For the longest time, you know, up until my 30s, like the outlook was always that, yeah, there's still more years ahead of me than years behind me. And there's a sense that that outlook to life kind of changed a little bit. Look, I don't know. And look, I don't know how old I will get one day. I don't know when I will die. You know, maybe, maybe I will outlive the statistics. I don't know. Um, but that is, that, is, that, is, that is a reality that I, that I realize right now uh, in, my, you know, in my 40s. And, and you know, all of us need to understand that actually you know, time is a gift that God's given us, an opportunity for us to worship the Creator, an opportunity for us to recognize Him as, as King. Um, and so don't waste that time, you know. God is patient even in the days of, you know, Corona, if you want to put it, the days of COVID, whatever the season's called, 2021. If you are not a Christian and you're hearing the gospel message, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Accept Jesus. Accept what he's done for you. Today is the day of salvation because he's been patient with you and he is still patient with you. But it has a shelf life. And so my, my, my encouragement to you is, is put your hope in him. Accept what he offers you today. Okay, so, you know, maybe you can't remember that first one, but it was just that, you know, Jesus uh, preached through Noah by the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, uh, to the people um, of his day. And then the second one, which is a little bit of a weird one, um, if, and you'll find some of the references in Genesis chapter 6, um, where, uh, you know, the story of, of, uh, of Noah starts. Um, it's an account where... Um, uh, uh, you know, God judges, or, or people believe that uh, this account is the judgment of uh, angelic beings, um, you know, angels that that mixed with mankind in some kind of debauched way uh, uh, in, during the days of Noah while he was building the ark. Um, and you know, the, the the word for for spirit here, preached to the spirit here, is is primarily used for supernatural beings in the scripture. Um, and even the word for prison here, the spirits in prison, uh, is also in scripture primarily used for Satan and his fallen angels. And so we'll actually encounter this again in the second Peter, uh, chapter two, verse four, when we preach through that book. And you can also see a reference to this in Jude six. Um, and so, yes, there is a sense that perhaps Jesus, uh, you know, resurrected Jesus, uh, has proclaimed his victory and his triumph uh, over all and that obviously to them in particular these fallen angels that were judged that were put into uh, some kind of prison some kind of confinement uh, and as a sense that Jesus is kind of saying I told you so you know that kind of I told you so moment that we can actually say is backed up by the very last verse we read in verse 22 saying he's gone into heaven as at the right hand of God with angels authorities having been subjected to him and of course you see uh, that even in uh, Colossians um, uh, Colossians chapter 2, um, which we'll read uh, towards the end of today as well. 
You know, so this is a little bit of a weird one. Uh, and, you know, even, even Kelvin kind of rejected this. He said, it's so absurd. Like, I don't even, uh, I can't even uh, agree with that. It just sounds too crazy, you know. Um, and then there's, there's a third interpretation, which I think um, must be rejected on biblical grounds. So the rest, you know, the ones that I've mentioned before, where there are biblical grounds that we could kind of pull at and say, yeah, it could mean these things. But this last one, it can't mean. And that's what many, I've, many, I've actually heard quite a few people uh, think and that is that Jesus you know is giving a chance to those in hell you know from from before the flood those that are uh, uh, have been judged um, and uh, he's, he's kind of proclaiming to them and giving them an opportunity uh, to be to be saved um, and this contradicts the scriptures flat out you can look at Luke chapter 16 with 26 Hebrews 9 27 actually even the rest of Peter and other other uh, other verses that you could find as well um, and so we must reject this you know that there's a sense that you know man is appointed to die once and then to face judgment there is no second chance this is the moment that again I want to go back to to when God's patience waited in the days of Noah saying that this is God's patience right now now is the moment to respond there is no after death moment where you could undo some of the dumb decisions you've made this side of the grave um, and so it cannot be that um, and even you know the flow of verse 19 technically uh, says that this proc proclamation took place after his res resurrection not before the word that says he went to the spirits in prison is also the word in verse 22 that refers to Jesus's ascension and so it's not actually a descending into hell it's an ascension into heaven and so the important thing to remember here that this passage there's nothing actually in this passage that suggests that the time of this particular proclamation was between Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, like between those three days, you know, he went and, and spoke to those uh, people and gave them a way out. That's not what this verse is saying at all. And so which one is it? I actually would side with Martin Luther on this one. I, 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 I you know, when I say which one is it? Is it A or B? Is it one or two? We know it's not three. Uh, Martin Luther uh, said this, you know, um, he said, verse 18 to 19 is a is as strange a text and as dark a saying as any in the New Testament, so that I am not yet sure what Peter intended. And so Martin Luther himself is saying, I actually don't know. And I think we would do well to, in humility, saying that's a little bit of a strange one. It's funny, you know, Peter writes about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and how his words are difficult to understand, you know, in some of his letters. But I would say, listen, Peter, you're guilty of the same thing here. Some of your words here and your references are also difficult to understand. And so, you know, I would just take a step back and say, we don't actually know. Uh, there are some probable uh, interpretations, but let's not major on a minor. That's the big thing. Don't miss what this is saying. What, what the message there is clear. And first of all, there's a parallel between no, the days of Noah and his family and the, the, the readers of Peter's letter here. Okay, first of all, we know there's, there's few people that were saved. You know, he, he names them here, eight people in Noah's day. Uh, and Peter's writing to a minority here. We already looked at that, you know, the, the exiles, you know, the, the, the chosen exiles um, uh, of, 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 uh, of God's followers in his kingdom that finds themselves, you know, in, in a culture where they're the minority. Okay, that's, the, that's a similar, similar thing that's, that's, that's here. That's a major point. Lastly, another parallel is God has set Noah and his family apart in this ark. And actually, he's getting to this message that God sets Christians apart, uh, especially in that first century, um, to, uh, and today still, you and I, through baptism, one of, the, one of the things we do as Christians, one of 
the sacraments. Uh, and so uh, verses uh, 20 to 21 uh, starts to draw this parallel. So we'll read it because, uh, you know, they formerly did not obey uh, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in, in both cases, you know, the days of Noah and for us today as believers, you know, there's a, there's a sense that there's salvation through the waters of judgment, a, a, a watery grave that we come through. And this is referencing baptism and what it signifies for you and me as Christians. One of the things we first things we do when we become followers of Jesus, what you should do uh, is obey the command of Jesus, you know, uh, to make disciples uh, of him and to baptize his followers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so one of the first things we do to signify what has happened to us uh, is we get baptized. And, 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 and of course, this transformation. God makes us a new creation, the Bible says. That when you put your faith in Jesus, God's Spirit comes and He resurrects you. He takes you from death to life and you're a new creation. Um, but you think about how, how caterpillars turn into butterflies, if that's the case. You know, uh, God doesn't say to the caterpillars of humanity, come on, you guys, you know, look prettier, you, you need to fly. No, he invites us into the chrysalis. He invites us into the tomb, the watery grave. This is what baptism represents, uh, the, the waters of baptism, uh, that we go down into the grave in a sense. We die to ourselves. We realize we're dead to sin. And he resurrects us. That's what that going in and coming up out rep represents. And, and it's, a, it's a vivid picture. You know, we're not talking about sprinkling over here, a little bit of water on us. You know, sometimes that's how we want to follow Jesus on our terms. A little bit of Jesus here, a little bit there, like salt and pepper on our, on our food. No, he wants an immersion. That's what, that's what baptism is, is to, be, to, to go under, to be, to be dunked, to be dipped, for the water to be uh, over you and for you to be in the water, it, it's, it speaks of this vivid surrendering uh, to Jesus. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's important to, to again, not make uh, a minor thing major here. This, the, although it says, you know, uh, salvation, uh, baptism that now saves you, he makes a point, not as a removal of dirt from the body. It's not that when you get baptized, then your sins are washed away, then you are forgiven. No, not at all. The, the waters don't wash you clean. The waters don't save you. Uh, at all. In fact, if we look at the parallel between Noah's day and and uh, and, um, and and what this represents here, uh, um, the waters of Noah actually didn't bring life. That's the very thing that brought death. You know, uh, the, the waters didn't save Noah's family. It was the ark. Again, that's a picture of actually being in Christ, being you know, being safe in Him, uh, safe from the judgment waters. Um, and so water brings death. And so there, when we, when we get uh, 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 baptized, we are saying we identify with the death and resurrection footsteps of Jesus who died in our place for our sins. So not a means of salvation, as he makes the point here, not a, uh, as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Um, it's an outward sign of an inward reality, okay, that we have been forgiven, that we have been made new, that uh, our sins have been paid for. Uh, 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 baptism is, is grounded in the death and resurrection 
of Jesus. Otherwise, it's, you're just getting wet. It's just a swim. If it's disconnected from the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it means nothing. His resurrection is proof that his payment for your sin was sufficient. That's why baptism is you, you're making an appeal to God saying, my conscience is clear. My sin has been paid for because as I come up out of the water, I identify with the resurrected Christ. And his resurrection is a vindication. It's saying my sin was paid for in full. That's why he was resurrected. It was truly finished when he cried out on that cross. It is paid for. You see, you see the significance of Baptism. It's like you and I, when we, when we sin, we, 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 we make an appeal to God saying, this is what my baptism meant, you know, that I am forgiven, that, that my sin was taken care of. Yeah, it's like a wedding ring, you know, I'm wearing mine today. And a wedding ring, you know, points to a legal moment in history that, that basically says, I got married. I'm a married man. I got married. And so, so it's a baptism in many ways is that ring, that symbol that points to what had taken place in our lives. And I can't think of a better uh, uh, um, supporting verse than Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Let's read that together. That also speaks of this, um, this moment. Uh, verse 11 says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Let me just stop there at the end of verse 12. What's going on with this whole circumcision thing? Well, if you know how circumcision works, you know it's basically severing of flesh, a separation. And there's a sense that when Jesus suffered once, died on the cross, the, the righteous for the unrighteous, he cried on that God, God, on that cross, God, why have you forsaken me? There was a circumcision. You know, Jesus, Jesus is also called the deacon of circumcision. It really just points to the fact that he was separated, severed. He had undergone that circumcision. Uh, um, and so that's the identification. We, 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 separ we, we, we um, identify uh, with his death in that sense. It says here, having been buried with him in what? In baptism, it says in verse 12. But also saying you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Let's pick up at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Isn't that amazing? That is the significance of baptism. You are, you are declaring what this means. My, my, my sin is paid for. I, 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 and I surrender. I, I, I die to my old life, my sin. As I identify with Jesus who paid the price for that sin, who took it upon himself on that cross. And I'm resurrected to new life. With him, as I come up out of the water, it represents that. It's a powerful thing, uh, and and that, and that you walk in that spiritual victory from that day onwards, which is really verse 22. It talks about Jesus gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. There, We link that even to the last verses in Colossians here. It says he, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's very powerful stuff. And so, you know, that verse 22 
talks about the, the triumph of Jesus here in 1 Peter. Uh, and that is of immediate practical help to people who are suffering and who are being persecuted. They can actually suffer as, as, as 1 Peter encourages them to because they, they know that victory is still theirs. Their suffering isn't a, a testament to their loss. They know that Jesus has won. And nothing, I mean, if they died to, to self, if, if baptism uh, uh, you know, points to the fact that they did to, to the flesh, you know, like one person said, the dead have nothing left to fear. There's a sense that you can say, you can throw anything at me. You know, you can throw anything at me. Jesus is victorious and I have died to self. Bring on, bring on the persecution. This is, this is good news for a community that is being persecuted and that is suffering for the sake of Jesus. Now, I'm going to end right now by asking uh, um, you, your listener, if, you, if you're... Uh, not baptized yet. Uh, we are going to give an opportunity for people who have put their faith in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, you know, saying he lived my life, the life I should have lived. He died the death. I should have died a substitute for me, the righteous for the unrighteous. He died in my place for my sin. And also the one who brought me to God. That's the thing. I, he did that for me to bring me to the Father. I, I have experienced relationship with him. I've been, been brought near by what Christ has done. I've taken the free gift that he's offered me. If you have not been baptized yet, this is what you should do next. To, to, to display publicly, vividly, that reality. An outward uh, uh, a show of what has taken place on the inside. We're going to give you an opportunity to do so. And so if you go to citygates.ca forward slash baptism, um, we would love to uh, make an arrangement. Uh, this following weekend, uh, we are going to do that. Details to be worked out. Um, and we'll probably put it on the, on the screen as well uh, for those who are not able to make it. But I want to encourage you, if you are not yet baptized, or maybe you've become a Christian even in this moment, uh, and, uh, and you say, yes, I want to tell the world. It's a public moment. We invite your friends and family to come and witness this, whether it's at, a, you know, at the lake or whether it's in a pool uh, here by the waypoint. Um, we, we, uh, we want to get alongside you and celebrate with you what you have done. And so if you need to get baptized, go to that link, sign up for baptisms. Um, otherwise, have an amazing week um, and uh, we'll catch you either in community groups or in person at some sort of a gathering somewhere. Uh, that's legal. God bless you. Goodbye. Hey everyone, my name is Tom, and I just wanted to close off today's service by taking a moment to encourage you in a simple practice. We heard today that Jesus, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous. That's us. And he did it once, and he did it for all. So think about that concept for a moment. It's pretty tough to put handles on. I can't walk in to the police station right now and offer to prepay everybody's parking tickets and traffic violations and infractions in advance for the next hundred years for every citizen of the Durham region. It's impossible. But if you think about the principle of Jesus dying on the cross once so that anyone who's willing to follow him and receive that sacrifice gets to be made righteous. Our brains are gonna wrestle with that, probably to the point of wanting to explode. It's like trying to meditate on the concept of infinity. So to help put handles on this, here's a suggestion. This week, invest one to two minutes every morning 
by looking at something that's going to help you meditate on this truth. So it might be your phone screen. You might put a sticky note on your mirror where you brush your teeth. Uh, you might leave yourself uh, some kind of reminder next to the coffee machine in your kitchen. But try it for just a week and see if it helps you get revelation of this truth. Because there are revelation of what took place at the cross really will transform our outlook on life. It transforms how we walk out our day and it transforms how we relate to God. And we need help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. So don't forget to ask for that help. Meditate on the scripture, ask for help, and talk to others, hopefully at your community group. And if you're not part of a community group, it's a great place to talk about these truths and talk about our questions and our hesitations. So I encourage you to do that this week and see how it goes.